You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Okay, turning your Bibles to uh, James, if you have your Bibles with you. We've been working through this series, as Thomas said, and um, I'm doing the last but one. Originally, I was given the first uh, six or seven verses of James chapter 5, which is a stern warning to rich oppressors. And I spent a little bit of time mulling over the uh, number of rich oppressors we have in the church here. And I decided probably there isn't too many. I mean, I know some might talk about the uh, rich oppression of the relative deprivation of the West. There are not many rich oppressors in our congregation. If you are a rich oppressor here today, please come and see me afterwards. And I've got some specific instruction for you that we can find in James chapter 5. But um, Tom very graciously broadened my brief a bit and widened the uh, number of verses I could appeal to. So we're going to pick it up from James chapter 4 and verse 13 and read through to chapter 5 and verse 12. And what we're going to see is a conversation with two groups of people that James develops. And we're going to unpack that. In a moment. So, James chapter 4 and verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up, you can be glad now that I'm not just preaching on these verses, can't you? Yeah? You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, But let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So you can see these two conversations developing here. Last time, we've we've been tracing our way through James, looking about a living faith, a faith that really is, uh, you know, in a sense, being worked out and articulated. Last time uh, I was speaking uh, earlier through this series, we were talking about um, the our salvation that is only uh, able to come to us through the obedience of Christ. And our sanctification 
which is a consequence of our own obedience, and we are responsible for that. So we, we talked about these things, and what James is doing here is he's developing the conversation about our sanctification, and he's speaking to two different audiences. He's talking to those who are learning to line their lives up with God. Do you remember that? We're saying, you know, there's this sort of, uh, our spirits are immediately redeemed because of the obedience of Christ, and then our emotions and our attitudes and our choices, we are learning to bring them into line. We're learning to bring them into alignment with God. That is the sanctifying process. That's what it means to be made holy. We are being conformed day by day into the likeness of Christ. We are learning to bring our lives into line with God. And so he's appealing to two different audiences, those who are learning to line up with God, learning to be obedient to the will of God and his ways, and those who are, consider, are continuing to live according to their own selfish priorities. So those who really are sort of self-determining their destiny, we could say. And, uh, you know, we're always enthusiastic when we consider Jesus as our saviour, but we must also remember that when we give our life to Jesus, we are saying he is also our Lord. We have turned our life over to him. It belongs to him now. He bought it with a price. It's not ours anymore. And when we're saying that Jesus, your Lord, we're saying, Jesus, now you make the decisions about my life. And my journey is learning how to conform myself to that, because I'm still rebellious and I still want to do things for my own way and I still have better ideas than God about how things should be done. And I'm trying to learn how to line up with God and say, no, you're Lord now. You shape my life. I want to know what you want. Jesus said, I only ever do what I see the Father doing. Jesus learned how to do this. And this is what James is tackling. So to one audience, so the audience who are, in a sense, self-determining their destiny, he says this in verse 13, you know, you may say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. But in verse 16, he says that you're boasting in your arrogance when you do that. All such boasting is evil, he goes on to say. But whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, it's a sin. It's a sinful thing for us to arrogantly boast about what we're going to do. To try and determine our own destiny is arrogant and sinful. We surrender to the destiny that Jesus has for our lives. Because he knows best. He knows better. Who in the room would dare say they know better than Jesus? (laughs) That's a trick question. Don't answer. Stay quiet. All right? We don't know better than Jesus what is right and good for our lives. So any sensible man or woman is going to want to know what Jesus wants for their lives and line up with it because he knows better than we do what is best for us. So we're not talking about some ugly, dominating dictator saying, you know, I'm a killjoy and you may know all these great things for your life. I'm not going to let you do it. I'm not going to let you have fun because I'm God and I'm going to be this miserable existence for you and I'm going to impose it on you. He said, no, look, in me there's life in abundance. Yeah? You're going to find your true identity in me. You're going to find what freedom really means in me. That's what you're going to discover. And you know, we want to do Jesus, we're running to you. That's what we want. So he goes on, he, he, a shuddering warning, as we said, in the first six verses of chapter 5 to those who are chasing after riches. You know, the world of money is a polluted world. It's a, it's a corrupted world. And if we chase after that, we will be left wanting. And, uh, and there's very stern warnings given about that. Now, it's not that 
God will not bless us with riches. God will bless us with riches, but we learn how to use those riches for the glory of God. Because they're his anyway. We're just the stewards of those things, but we're not chasing after them. We're not, in a sense, sort of saying, well, because I'm rich, therefore God is blessing me. That's just foolish and immature and ungodly thinking. Financial reward isn't the way we measure what God is doing in our lives. But nevertheless, God will bless us with riches. He'll bless some with great riches, and that is a huge responsibility. It's, easy, you know, it's, it's easier for a camel to get through the tiny gap than for a rich man to get into heaven because it's such a massive challenge. And so if, if there are people here who have significant wealth, then we want to pray that you will know how to manage that in the goodness and in the grace of God because it's a very, very significant responsibility to have. So that is sort of one of the, the conversations that James is developing. And the other conversation he's developing is to the audience who are not looking to try and determine their own destiny, but they're looking to Jesus for him to determine their destiny. And he says this, and this is the key verse in verse 15. We're going to, uh, much of the rest of the message will revolve around this verse. If the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this and that. If the Lord wills, not my will, but yours. I must become less, you must become more. If the Lord wills, then this is what we will do. So my question for you and my appeal to you, and in some ways it's not a new appeal because I've, I've, often, I've often touched on this and I've preached on this before, but I feel it's so important for us. You know, are you living in the will of God for your life? I want you to ponder that question. Are you living in the will of God for your life? Do you know the will of God for your life at this time? Are you clear-minded about that? Is it settled? I know this is what God's called us to do at this time. Yeah? It could be that you're in a time of transition, you're in a time of decision-making, but I am absolutely persuaded that God has a destiny for each of our lives. I'm absolutely persuaded that it's our our responsibility to discover that destiny, and I am fully persuaded that God wants to make it plain. Okay? It's not a riddle. And what James goes on to unpack with those who are seeking to determine the will of God for their lives is the fact that as we pursue these things, we're going to face all sorts of trials and all sorts of opposition and some suffering and difficulties that are going to come our way. But if you know you're in the will of God, you can endure that. If you don't know that you're in the will of God, you'll just be confused. Why is this happening? Why has God allowed this to happen? What's going on here? But if you know you're in the will of God, you can endure these things. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. He knew his destiny. He knew where he was going so he could endure a degree of suffering that we will never, thank God, have to taste. But God promises us, Jesus promises us, that we will face trials in this world. He doesn't say, if you're in my will, you'll have no problems. Quite the opposite. He says, if you're in my will, you're going to face some problems. You really are. And Paul says, and I'm sure you'll all cheer along with this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. <laughs> Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we've got to understand the bigger picture here. Jesus is about a much bigger picture than whether 
our short-term requirements are being met. You know, he's on a much bigger deal. He's conforming us to his likeness. He's got massive destiny for every one of your lives. Yeah? So I appeal to you that you must discover the purpose of God for your life, the will of God for your life. And if you know that today, then hallelujah. You know, and let's stand together in the different trials and tribulations that you may be facing because you will endure these things because it's going to produce character in you. You're going to become more like Jesus as you endure that because you know that you're in the will of God and you know where you're going. Yeah? If you don't know the will of God for your life, let's help you determine that in this season of your life. It changes from season to season so that you will understand what's going on in your circumstances and you'll know what it means and what it, you'll learn what it means to be content with your circumstances. Paul labors this point. You know, we're going to learn to be content elsewhere in Scripture. He, le- he labors that. You know, in the world, if we are unhappy, we try to change our circumstances. You know, oh, this marriage isn't going very well. I feel a bit uncomfortable with this. I'm going to change it. <laughs> Trade in for a newer model. Yeah, Paul says, no, I'm going to learn to be content in my circumstances. I'm going to let my yes be yes. And I'm going to reap the fruit and rewards of faithfulness and obedience as I make this work, because this is my destiny. Learning to be content in our circumstances. A friend of mine, he was unhappy uh, in a certain situation. And so he then applied for 200 different jobs (laughs) to try and change his circumstances. And I'm thinking, okay, well, if that's in the will of God, but otherwise... God wants you to learn to be content in the circumstances in which you find yourself in the different seasons of life. He wants you to learn to be content with that and not be trying to change everything just to try and see if it makes things better. So the question that we are posing to ourselves this morning, and it's not a question that we're unfamiliar with because I have raised this several times because I feel it's so important. Pastorally, it is so important. Pastorally, you know, we, so often we find ourselves trying to help people who are wrestling with circumstances and are making poor choices. And the reason they're wrestling with circumstances and making poor choices is because they've never understood the will of God for their lives. And we think, well, if I can crack this one, my pastoral workload will reduce and I'll be a happy man. Okay? So I'm trying to appeal to you to make my life easier. All right? Okay? That's what I'm trying to do. Are you in the will of God for your life? If the Lord wills. Listen very carefully. God will say this more than once. He will say it more than once. He does not want to set a riddle for you. He doesn't want you to be groping about in the darkness. Commit your ways to the Lord and he will make your path straight. His word will be a lamp to your feet. He's not like an evil dad when the son asks for uh, you know, bread, gives him a stone. He says, no, I'll give you good things. Ask me, I'll give it to you. I want you to know the destiny for your life. So we're going to just look at a few tests. As I said, I have mentioned these before, but I just feel it bears unpacking in a little bit more detail. I think that God relentlessly speaks to us. Okay? We just need to open our ears and listen. And there are four tests that we can apply to ensure that we have determined the will of God for our lives as the Lord wills. Okay? First test is the test of Scripture. We've talked about this before. This isn't a textbook. 
It's the living word of God. It is alive. You speak to God and he speaks to you. You're in a conversation. And verses of scripture will explode in your heart and come to life for you, specific to you and to your circumstances, in a way that won't necessarily uh, you know, have the same impact for other people. It's sort of in the way that God wants to speak to you. It can be very, very personal. And uh, we can be confident also that the things that God calls us to won't contradict his word. So when people say to you, oh, God's told me to leave my wife or something, you can be absolutely sure that is not what God has told them to do. You know? That is not the case. You know, it can be that there are circumstances and we are tender and merciful in that. But you know, we're looking for things that do not contradict God's own word. But God will speak to you through these verses. I was giving an illustration earlier. For me, a life-determining, destiny-shaping passage of Scripture for me, personally, is Isaiah 62. Now, you might read Isaiah 62 and go, oh, that's very nice, Morris. You know, it changed my life. I, I, I stepped out of my career in the Air Force, and I've committed myself to courses of action that I can trace back to the day I was in a church and I was reading that passage of Scripture. And it was back in the day... Isaiah 62, you can read it later on, when God just paints this glorious picture of his vision for his people. Okay? And obviously those scriptures and prophecies apply to Israel in that day. But also we can apply it to us as the new Israel, as spiritual Israel, as uh, you know, the, the new Jerusalem. We can apply those scriptures to us as well. Say so this is what God has in his heart for his people. That his people are going to be beautiful and radiant. That it's going to be the praise of the earth. And this was in the day when people used to spend all their time apologizing for the church. Okay? And they would say things like this, you know, um, don't look at the church, look at Jesus. You know, the church is a bit embarrassing, actually, to be honest. But uh, look at Jesus, he's great. And then here we say, no, hang on, Jesus, Jesus gave his life for the church. It's the bride that God has selected for his son, and it, it's the joy of the earth. And God is, and I'm thinking, God, I want your vision for the local church. I want your vision for the local church. I want to be part of a church where people will meet Jesus. Yeah? I love this quote from John Piper. There is no other gathering. See if you agree with me on this. There is no other gathering like the gathering of a Christian church. It is incomparable. What happens here... Now, John Piper's an American, but you can apply your own cultural application. What happens here puts the president and the congress and the supreme court in their respectable, but by comparison, minor role in the universe compared to what happens in the church. God will come to you in unique and manifest ways that he reserves for the gathered family of God in worship. He will heal broken marriages as a husband and a wife sing in the presence of God and feel the impossible become possible. He will humble the most arrogant sinner so that he walks out of worship like a little child before God. He will shine his light on your utter confusion and you will leave knowing the way to go. He will catch you falling over the cliff of hopelessness and by the end of the service you'll feel solid ground under your feet. He will convict you of the ugliness of a hidden habit that is quietly destroying your life and you will walk out not resolved to be free, but free. Isn't that great? So I love together. I'm really absolutely loving our times of worship. We know that our lives of worship extend far beyond an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. 
But there's something unique and special that happens when we gather together in worship. God manifests himself. He manifests in his presence. This is a place I want people to think, I've got to bring my friends here who haven't yet met Jesus because they're going to encounter God. They're going to meet God when the people of God. So, you know, you're coming to church on a Sunday morning thinking, am I in the mood for this? You know, I don't know. You know, oh, the worship team weren't up to much this morning. It didn't do much for me. Oh, come on. Come on. We've got a unique opportunity to open a window to heaven and gather people from Ipswich and the villages around and say, come and encounter the living God in his presence and in his power today. You can do that here. We're saying, come, come, come. So when we come to worship, it's a beautiful privilege. We're saying, God, we are exalting you. We are exalting you in this place that people will encounter you and meet you and their hearts will be opened and their their hearts will melt and then the word of God will be sown like a seed in their heart and it will take root and bear fruit. So if you're not a Christian here today, if you're someone here who wouldn't consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, you're here politely or courteously or with a question or whatever, I'm just appealing to you and saying, hey, you'll meet Jesus here. You will meet Jesus here. As we worship together, as you pay heed to the scriptures, not to some ranting man, <laughs> pay heed to what the word of God says, yeah? you will meet Jesus and he can, he can help you. He can comfort you. He can deliver you. He can heal you. He can save you. He can forgive you. He can do these things. That's the king we worship. That's why we're here. Yeah? We're here that you can meet Jesus. Okay, and a little later on, when we bring our meeting to a close, there'll be an opportunity. There'll be some people here praying. If you want to go down there and say, look, I want to meet Jesus for the first time, I tell you, you make a man or a woman very, very happy if you get asked them that question today. And they can pray with you and introduce you to Jesus and start to put you on the first steps of following Jesus for your own life. So these... I mean, I've, I've, I've gone off, off, off track a little bit. I just... What was I preaching about? I Maybe it illustrates the point, you know, in terms of what I feel God has called me to. Scripture, Isaiah 62, it shaped my life. Now I, I travel around uh, Europe and all these other nations, as Tom says. It's nothing glamorous or grand, but I, my urgent, urgent compulsion is I've got to plant and establish and raise up communities of believers where the presence of God and the word of God is preached and that people are going to come and meet him for the first time. Uh, that is, I want to do that in country after country after country, in town after town after town, where it's in rural Norfolk or, or in Frankfurt and Stockholm, wherever God takes me. I just want to build communities of believers who gather and care for one another and the sort of Acts 2 communities that we read about, but where, when they gather in worship, the presence of God can be found. Yeah? I'm praying... I am praying that coming to church on a Sunday will be the first resort for people, not the last resort. I'm praying that people will be, you, my dear brothers and sisters, will be looking around, your neighbours and friends and family, and thinking, I know exactly what you need. And in the famous words of the Blues Brothers, you get wise, you get to church. Okay? Okay? Because you're going to meet God there. Not you're going to be taught a whole load of rules and regulations and be told how to dress properly. And No, I don't know how to teach anyone how to dress properly. 
You're going to meet Jesus. And I, so we, we want to, that's what I'm saying. You know, this is, this is a precious hour, folks. You know, you're thinking, well, you know, he's going to be relevant to them. Is the presence of God not relevant to them? You know, I want, I want you to be safe to bring your friends here. Because what else can we do? I think of, you know, Jesus in the house and there's a couple of blokes and their mate is in a stretcher and they bash a hole through the roof. They bash a hole through the roof to get their friend to Jesus. That's the sort of heart we've got to have. That's the sort of heart we've got to have for our friends. Yeah? That's the sort of heart we've got to have for the people around us who aren't saved. Please bash a hole in our roof. <laughs> and lower them in to the body of Jesus. Yeah? That they would encounter his presence and his love. So this is how you can find the will of God for your life. I've just given you inadvertently a testimony of how I discovered the will of God for my life. In terms of that, that was important for me. What's important for you? What scriptures explode for you? Appetite tests. Appetite tests. What things do you have an appetite for? Okay? It's really, really important that we understand this. That God will hardwire you for things that you're ultimately going to find fulfilling and satisfying in your life. Because he's got a destiny for you that you're going to find fulfilling. He says, I've got plans to prosper you, not to harm you. He says, I want to give you, I want to give you your heart's desires in Psalm 37 verse 4. So why would he want to give you things that you don't have an appetite for? You know? And uh, I always uh, tell this little story at my, my lovely wife's expense. She won't mind me. <laughs> oh, she might mind me, but it's too late now. Um, the <laughs> but, you know, we grew up in that sort of evangelical world where you're always a bit suspicious about things that you wanted to do. And you're always a little bit concerned about the things that you wanted to do. So the logic, the evangelical logic goes like this. You know, if it's something you really don't want to do, it's probably the one thing God's calling you to do. And if it's something you really want, it's probably the thing that God doesn't want you to have. So on that basis, because Rachel wanted to marry me, she was concerned that perhaps God didn't want her to marry me. And because she didn't want to be a sort of a, a spinster missionary in darkest Africa, she felt that must be what God wants for her life, you know. So we spent a little bit of time unpicking that, and now we're happily married. And we're both on a mission, so that's great. But, you know, it's that sort of logic that says that somehow, you know, oh, you know, this must be what the Lord has for my life. No, he's given you appetites, godly appetites. We are fighting some ungodly appetites. That's the journey we're on, trying to put those behind us so that we can see the godly appetites that God has given us. So it's another test for you. What sort of things has God really given you an appetite for? There's the prophecy test. I really want to uh, encourage you to put yourself continually in the way of opportunities for God to speak to you prophetically. We are eagerly, actively seeking to nurture a prophetic culture among us here because we feel God speaks to us through Scripture, but he also speaks to us through the spirit of prophecy. And he'll speak through you know, some that maybe have a platform gift, but he'll also speak one-to-one with us, and we apply all the appropriate biblical checks and balances. We test and weigh these things. We take a witness with us when we want to share a prophecy. We don't just share on our own. And uh, we don't just immediately think because that's been shared that that must be a word from the Lord. It has to be tested and weighed. And also, God will repeat himself because he knows we're a bit hard of hearing. He'll keep saying these things again and again and again. And I don't think that he will just say something once and then never mention it again. So Rachel and I, we're in the middle of of processing some decisions that God has been speaking to us about over 10 or 12 years. And we're now starting to, it's more now a question of the timing, but it's been a repetition and uh, uh, God reinforcing it again and again and again from all sorts of different angles and different ways. 
But God wants to do that for you, okay? And he may not speak to you in the storm or in the, uh, you know, the thunder clouds, but his still small voice, he's chipping away all the time, all right? Just a lot of the time we're not listening. Okay, so put yourself in the way. You know, if you think, I, I need some shape and direction for my life, there are people here who will pray with you. So let's pray with you. Let's see what God has to say. And take the opportunity to, you know, every opportunity to hear what God has got to say for you. Carefully document this. Keep a record. Don't despise prophecy by forgetting it and putting it on a shelf. And then over a period of time, a picture will become clear. I promise you it will. And then fourthly and finally, and I think most importantly, there's this critically important verse in Scripture in Proverbs 15.22 that says that wisdom is found in the counsel of many advisors. So when I'm trying to process a, you know, a difficult decision, I seek counsel far and wide from trusted, wise people. Now, you, know, you can ask your, your best mates and that, but sometimes they might be tempted to just want to tell you what you want to hear because they love you and don't want to say anything. No, it's good to far and wide. Now, why am I going through this in, in such detail? It's because I want you to know your destiny, and I want you to know it with an absolute clarity and when people come to me sometimes and just say, oh, I think God's told me to do this, I think, well, what's the scripture test? What's the appetite test? What's the wisdom test? What's the prophecy test? And they just say, well, I, I knew it in my Noah sort of thing. You know, well, it doesn't do much for me. I'm thinking, no, come on. I want you to be in the will of God for your life. I want you to know what God has for you, your destiny. Don't be loose with that because you're going to find yourself in situations that you don't understand. Okay? So... Apply those tests, and I <clears throat> promise you, you will discover what the Lord wills for your life. That's what you ought to be asking, what the Lord wills. Yeah? And uh, Rachel and I, we, you know, we've, we've made a number of life-changing decisions based on this sort of process. And every time we've made the decision, there's absolutely no doubt in our minds. There's no doubt in our minds. We've made the right decision. That doesn't necessarily mean that executing the decision is easy. But this is the whole point what, that James is trying to articulate here, is that we may, in pursuing the will of God, face suffering and need to be patient, need to endure. He goes on to talk about this, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. Okay? We're going to be patient. We're in the will of God. Okay, but it's not happening yet. It's not happening the way we're expecting, but we're going to be patient. We can endure this. Be patient. Establish your hearts. The coming of the Lord is at hand. If you don't know that you're in the will of God, you will be confused by circumstances. They will confuse you. And you'll be discouraged and think, well, I don't understand what's happening. If you are in the will of God, you can endure circumstances. And say, well, I, you know, whatever happens here, but I'm in a bigger picture here. I know the will of God for my life. I know he is conforming me to his likeness so I can expect to face these trials and pressures. He promised them to me because he's training me to be like him. Don't grumble against one another. We get frustrated and start grumbling. You know, no, if we know the will of God for our lives, we can be at peace with one another and not judging. And uh, you know, above all, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know, walk with integrity. And be committed to the course of action that God has for you. So the point is this. These verses make no sense unless we know we're in the will of God. If we know we're in the will of God and we've applied these tests, then we're able to be patient and endure all suffering 
because we learn to be content in the circumstances God has ordered for our lives. Okay, And remembering the bigger picture is that God is conforming us day by day to the likeness of Christ. That's the big picture. You know, we must always remember that God saved us not to serve our cause. He saved us that we would serve his cause. We need to get in line with that. Okay, God, what is the will of God for your life? And so let's just pray together as uh, we bring this time to a close. <clears throat> let's, uh, if you feel comfortable, just lift your hands in surrender to our King. This is our, with our bodies, we're signaling to Jesus that we surrender to you, Jesus. You're in charge here. Have your way. Lord Jesus, we just want to pray for any among us here today who have never made a decision to follow you. And they may be here out of politeness or curiosity or even reluctantly. But we're praying, Jesus, will you touch our hearts with your love and with your mercy and with your presence. Lord, the people that have never met you before will know that you are alive, that you are real. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Just want to, I just want you to know here, if you don't yet know Jesus, he is the one who knows best how to order your life. Uh, this room is full of people who can tell you, you know, how, how can we get through this without Jesus? And not just for this life. If it's just for this life, then we're all being a bit daft. That's what the Word of God tells us. We're, it's only for this life that we're following Jesus. No, it's because Jesus is able to take us with him. For eternity, nobody. Uh, it was everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. You know, we're 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 on the way. We're trusting Jesus. He can carry us out of this mess. What a promise! What a beautiful promise! And that is an invitation to you today. I just want to pray for anybody here who you're wallowing in a lack of clarity and a confusion about your life now. It takes time sometimes to work out the next chapter of destiny. But I'm appealing to you, and God is inviting you. Say, come on, let's work on this together. Let's dig into the Word of God. Let's see those scriptures that, that illuminate your soul. Let's see what your appetites are. And let's see what God is saying to you through the spirit of prophecy. Let's see what the spirit of wisdom is saying to you through many trusted counselors. Because God wants you to know. And then you will be anchored and you will be your feet will be on a rock and you will be able to understand and interpret your circumstances and say, I can endure this. I can be patient in this. I can be patient while my marriage is going through a, a difficult patch because I know that I've committed myself, that this is the will of God and that my yes will be yes and that one day I'm going to reap the rewards of faithfulness and steadfastness. I know that if I move, I move because God has commanded it, not just because I fancied a change of air or was chasing riches. So press in, God will speak to you and he will make his path clear for you. If you commit your ways to God, he'll make the path straight before you. 
And thirdly, just for those who know you're in the will of God, but it is a bit tough. And you're having to battle your way through some circumstances and your patience is tested and you're getting a bit frustrated. And Well, just let us please pray with you that you will stand strong, that you will overcome. God loves the faithful endurance of the one who overcomes. God loves the steadfast one. He loves it. And we want to stand with you and say, yeah, it's tough, but you're in the right place. You're not doing anything wrong. Yeah, we just want to stand with you and pray for you that you will endure. So if that's you, please, as we worship in this last song, I invite you to come down. And there are people here who gladly pray with you and minister to you and to strengthen you this day in all of these things. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.